you have your Bibles and would, let's turn together to the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you, uh, the ladies have been sorting Christmas cards for the last few weeks, and if you've not yet gotten your Christmas cards, uh, swing by the foyer. Um, They may be handing them out, uh, you know, to some others. They may still be in there and haven't got a chance to get to you, but there's there are, a lot of, there are a lot of Christmas cards back there, and uh, we're thankful for that and want to remind you to do that. Um, we spent the last few weeks as we've kind of developed this idea of, of, this, of where we were going to be at this morning, this idea of, of the arrival of Christ. We started in, in Titus chapter 2 um, with, with, the, with the, this, the thought that, that Paul writes to Titus. He says, Uh, In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And so we've kind of explored that vein of thought where this this appearing of the Lord, and and for us, you know, that appearing happens on a a couple of different levels. Uh, One, Paul is, is most certainly talking about uh, when, when, when Christ uh, appears, uh, to, you know, when he appeared at his birth and Paul talks, you know, there's this, this, this vein of, or this thread of thought where Paul's saying, you know, one day Christ is going to appear again in his second coming. And then you've also got this, this idea that, that Christ even still appears to you and to I uh, over the course of our lives. When the truth of Christ appeared to us. And, and those of you that have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we remember that moment when that truth appeared to us, when we realized that everything that the scriptures had to say were true, that we were sinners in need of a Savior, and Christ has come to save us. In fact, it's what uh, the, the angel tells, uh, tells uh, Mary and er, Joseph in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, when it says, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and Emmanuel, and the significance of this idea that it is, he is God with us. Later in, in the chapter, in chapter three of the book of Titus, uh, we find Paul again kind of redo this or, or uh, reemphasize this idea. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he says he saves us. He saved us, not, not because we did anything good to deserve it, but because of his mercy and his love and his grace that he saved us. And so as we look in, in Luke chapter 2 this morning, it, it's, this, this, it's the declaration of the, of the birth of Jesus. And if you've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas movie, a lot of this text is, is what is quoted in the Charlie Brown Christmas movies. But in, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to read together verses 1 through 7, then we're going to kind of dive into the, the, uh, the next several verses of the text, the text for us this morning. But he says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with his wife, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son 
and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Fathers, we come to you this morning. Lord, it is with glad and joyful hearts that we are, are here this morning to be able to celebrate uh, the coming of your son to this earth, uh, that, he was, that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that he was here, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, and that he ascended into heaven. And Lord, now we await his arrival and the second coming. But in the meantime, Father, you have given us the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that his presence is with us even now. Father, I'm thankful that he has appeared to us, Lord, through the, 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 through the, the declaration that we find in your word and through the, the happenings of our life, both natural and supernatural. Father, I pray for those of us this morning that are here today that, that God, that we would just be aware of your presence. It is so easy to chalk things up to to coincidence or to chance or to just random luck. But God, there is a natural and supernatural quality to, to what you do. Father, there are the things that we can explain and there are the things that we cannot. But God, we know that it is your desire to reveal yourself to your people, to make them know that you, have, that you, are, that you dwell among them, that you are uh, their God and that we are your people. And so, Father, we ask and pray, Lord, that you would just help our hearts to be tuned in, that our minds would be tuned in, and that, God, we would just uh, receive what you would have for us, Lord, the natural and the supernatural working together, Lord, to reveal the Son of God to the children of man. So, Lord, we ask and pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts, open our minds. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide this morning. For it's in Christ's name we ask it, and all God's people said, amen. amen. As we dive into this text a little bit this morning, you know, there, there's something significant that we have to understand before we can really fully grasp what is happening in our text this morning. You see, when we come together and we celebrate uh, Christmas, we are not celebrating the, mer- the birth of, a, of just any child. We have, we have birthdays that we celebrate. I've got two kids of my own and I look out here and we've got babies sitting in here. We've got babies down in the nursery. You know, we're not celebrating the birth of just anybody. This is a very special birth. In fact, John begins in the very beginning. And, and, and when he begins his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was, was God and the word was with God. And, and, and he's harking, harkening our minds back to Genesis when it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that, that it, even in that, in that beginning, when God was forming creation, he was speaking it into existence. And if you know the creation story, you know the story of the fall, how sin enters into the world through Adam and Eve. But even from the moment of creation, when God is speaking things into existence, Jesus is there with him. When they form man, God says, let us, let us create man in our own image. Even when he's forming man out of the dust, he knows that man is gonna fail, that man is gonna fall. And even in those moments where that dust is being collected and that breath is being breathed into the, 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 the lungs of, of Adam and, and of Eve, God has a plan. 
And that plan uh, uh, kind of unfolds for us throughout the Old Testament narrative. When God selects for himself the people and blesses the people through Abraham and they wander in the wilderness and they get the Ten Commandments and they build the tabernacle. And what's really interesting is when it talks about God's presence, the Shekinah glory coming and dwelling amongst the temple, when God's presence falls and it dwells amongst the, in the temple, it is very similar to the Greek word that we get in John chapter one, verse 14, when it said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The same presence of God that dwelt in the tabernacle in the Old Testament is the presence of God that comes down in, the, in flesh form, in the form of Jesus to dwell among us. And so the word becomes flesh and it dwells among us. And the angels come and they visit Mary and that she's gonna give birth to this Messiah and her willingness, her, her surrender to the will of God in that. And then Joseph, who's an honorable man and he, he, he's, can, he knows the kid's not his and he comes and, he, and, he, and he's, can, he's determined in his mind and his heart, he's gonna, he's gonna divorce her quietly because betrothal was much different than engagement was in our world today, engagements can be broken off. In Bible times, once the betrothal had been made, you needed a legal document and you legally divorced the woman or man that you were betrothed to. And then the angel comes and visits him. Now, can you just imagine for a moment an angel coming and visiting you? And yet we see it, you know, we see it in Adam, or we see it in in. in Joseph, and we see it in Mary, the angel come with this declaration, this message that what was happening was special, that it wasn't an ordinary child. The Holy Spirit had, had come over Eve, and she had conceived, and the child that she's going to give birth to is going to be the Messiah, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And on this day, on this morning, everything in, the, in world history changes. Nothing at all stays the same. You think about it from a, from a spiritual standpoint and the Jewish standpoint and 400 years of silence. God has not sent a prophet God has not sent a messenger. God has not communicated with his people for 400 years. And who does God send the angel to go see? A poor teenage virgin in a poor Gentile community that even the Jews really didn't want a whole lot to do with because of the, the Roman garrison that was stationed there. The Gentiles that pervaded the area and comes in and, and shares with her that she's going to be the one to bear the coming Messiah. And Joseph and the radical changes that issued through her, but not just that, but the days that were gonna come. When, this, when Jesus, when he, when he grew into, into manhood and he begins his earthly ministry, and he, begins, and he begins teaching and declaring things that nobody else had taught or declared, in fact, it's from these declarations that C.S. Lewis gives us the great trilemma. When he says, if, if we are to look at the claims that Jesus made 
and the things that Jesus did, then he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Like there's no other room for anything else. And, and even, and even C.S. Lewis declares, he said, God did not leave us room to, to make any other, any other responses to that. Like he is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord Jesus in the flesh. And he didn't leave us any room for anything else. And he comes and he begins teaching these things and proclaiming these things. And then he, he dies on the cross for our sins. But we've got to understand in, in all of this, in all this truth, is what, what the shepherds, when the angels come to the shepherds, and it says in, in Luke chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 8, and it says in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Not certain people, not special people, but it is great news for all people. And notice what he says, for unto you is born this day, that there was a real day that Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born. We have a day that we have set aside that we proclaim the birth of Jesus. But there was a day when, the, when Jesus was born on this earth. A real day. And I don't know if maybe it was a Sunday and Mary and Joseph woke up that morning in that inn and, and, uh, or in the stable where they were staying. And maybe they were determining whether or not they were going to go to a synagogue, but she didn't have anything that fit. And he didn't bring the iron and they're arguing about how they're going to get to church. Anybody have one of those mornings this morning? I appreciated Melissa's words to us today about the hurry thing, Right. All walk in with smiles painted on our face, but it's Sunday and there's probably a handful of us that may have had an argument on the way to church today. But you have Mary and Joseph. On that day, a day just like you and I are here together today, just a normal day that people wake up and they go about their business. There was a day, a real day, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's amazing to me that we're told in, or just earlier in that chapter in this passage we read before we prayed, she gave birth and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And it's, it's always astounded me why, why Jesus would come in that way. I mean, let, let's think honestly together for a minute. If If Jesus were to come in the way that he deserved to come, the skies would part and, 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 and Jesus would descend with, just like he's going to come in his second coming. There's going to be trumpets and there's going to be processions of angels and there would be declarations being made and nobody would have second guessed it. It would have been something that no, you could not have explained it. You could not have described it. We just would have known. And yet he comes in the form of a baby. And the more that I got to thinking about this, the more it's the, it's the, it's the simple truth 
that Jesus came to be one of us in, in every way, in the dependency as a baby, in his growth as an adolescent, to, his, to, to maturing into manhood, and all the things that come with it. You see, the interesting thing about Jesus is that he was not half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man. Wasn't half and half, wasn't three quarters and a quarter. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. And he humbled himself to the point that he was willing to come to this earth in the form of a baby and live our existence from beginning to end. So that when he died for our sins, he knew exactly what he was dying for. That we would understand. It's why Hebrews can, declaim, can proclaim with such, with such sincerity. He says, you know, that we have a great high priest who, is, who, who knows exactly what we've gone through. Now, they use the words like sympathize with our weakness. But he knows everything that we need. He knows every, like, and, and here's the beautiful thing about Christ is not only does he know everything that we need because he is God, but because he is God, he has the power to supply and meet every need. And so no doubt some of us have come here this morning with needs. A family in our church lost a, a parent this, this morning. Others of us come here with the pain of it being the holidays and and, and, and we're missing someone that we love. In fact, I don't know that I can look at a family this morning without being able to think of someone who's not here with you this year that's been with you in years past. We all sit here this morning in need of something. We need strength to get through the holidays. We need encouragement. We need hope. We need joy. Some of us are here this morning in need of something that we didn't, maybe didn't even realize we needed when we walked in here. We need Jesus. That our greatest need on this earth is not a better job or, or more kids or whatever else we think we need. What our greatest need is, is Jesus. And on a, on a real day, he was born. And in a real city, what else does he say? On this day is born to you in the city of David. So there's a, a real savior born on a real day in a real city, and look what he says, and he gives these declarations. He says, on, the, in the, on this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now those are three important titles for us to understand, that he is a savior, of course, the, the, the Israelites were waiting for a savior. These shepherds were raising sheep in a field that were gonna be taken to the temple and sold as a sacrifice waiting on this savior to appear. And so this is not lost on them that there's this savior being born on this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Messiah the one that the prophecies had foretold, the one that they were waiting on. And now he's arrived, the Messiah, the Savior, the King that they had been waiting on, who is Christ. And we cannot miss the significance of the Lord. 
that he is our Savior, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lord. That it is the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. You know, that, that word, the word, logos in the Greek, is an interesting word for us. Because it was literally this, the spoken word. It was, it was in, in a nutshell, in a very simple way, it is, it, is the, it is the thing about God, like when the disciples ask something about, well, we've never seen God, and, 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 and Jesus says something to Philip, something along the lines of, have you been with me so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, this idea of logos, this word, was like the personification. It was the, the word. It was the manifestation of God in the flesh. And he's saying, and, and John is declaring to us in no uncertain terms that Jesus was God in the flesh. It was the human form. It was the manifestation of God to us, dwelling among us, just as God dwelled in the tabernacle among his people in the Shekinah glory. Now you had Jesus coming and dwelling with his people on the earth, dwelling with them, living among them. Christ the Lord, living among us. In fact, Paul in, in, in Colossians chapter one, he describes it to us like this when he's talking about Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God, the fullness of God, not 50% of God, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And then Paul begins to declare why Jesus come. And he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh. Why did Jesus come? Because there was no other way for a sacrifice to be made, but for Jesus to step out of eternity and step into onto earth and by his flesh be the sacrifice for our sins reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I think if there's one thing as we draw this to a close this morning, I'm losing my voice and there's one thing that I want us to understand this morning is this, this, this word that, that is, is two things. The significance of the, of the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. But these closing words that Paul has in this section of, of, of Colossians uh, when he's talking about this preeminence of Christ. If indeed you continue in the faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. And as we come into this time of season, it, it, listen, all, we all have things that we've got going on, all things that we're busy and we're bouncing around from house to house and family member to family member. But let us hold fast in the faith. Let us not depart from it. Let us not fall into the traps of, of, of secular society and the things that they would have us to believe that this is a that this is a pagan holiday, that this is, you know, this is not. This is the day, the real day that we set aside. Now, it's not the day. Jesus was not born on, on December 25th, but it is the day that we have set aside to commemorate the, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And God has allowed us experiences in our life that, that, like, and the only way I can explain it is this. There is not a person on the face of this planet that can convince me that Jesus does not exist. Not a person. Why? Because my experiences are backing up what I'm understanding to be truth in the scriptures. What he says here, I've experienced here. There are things that have happened in the course of my life that I cannot explain. I know them to be true, but I cannot explain them. I cannot explain the, um, the experience of surrendering my life to Christ and asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and forgive me my sins. I cannot explain that. I cannot tell you the emotions that wash over my heart when I think about it. But it was not an emotional experience. It was a legitimate, real experience. It happened in my heart and it happened in my life. And there are things in our lives that occur on a daily basis that are supernatural events that we cannot explain away. We cannot verbalize and contextualize, but they are real things that have happened to us. There are other moments in our lives when we ask God, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show me that you are who you say you are? And something supernatural happens and we discount that because we want something tangible. But the amazing thing about all these things that happen in the scriptures is that there are both natural and supernatural things that lead people to the revelation of Jesus Christ. For the, for the, the shepherds in the field, it was the, the angels that literally came down and they're singing and the glory of God shone around them. And then their response was, we got to get our hind ends to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. When they go and they leave there, and it says they leave with this joy, exceedingly great joy. And then we have the wise men, the magi that study. They are astronomers. They are studying the sky, and the sky appears, and it reminds them of a prophecy that happened way back in like the book of Daniel. And what do they do? They embark from the east to come to the place where this star was shining so that they could see the Savior. Now, there was something supernatural there. But here's the thing. In our world today, like we don't want to talk. We don't talk a lot about the supernatural. But yet, go back and read the gospel accounts. How do you explain blind men seeing? They didn't have modern medicine then. How do you explain Lazarus coming back to life. How do you explain the lame 
walking. And you know what? I'm convinced when those guys, those four buddies of the paralytic man who tore the hole open in the roof to let, to let their buddy down because they knew if they get to Jesus, they couldn't explain what Jesus was going to do. Because in one place, they hear that he rubbed mud in a man's eyes and he could see. In another place, they said the dude just touched him. We hear reports out of another town of a woman who just touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. I don't know what he's going to do. I know he's going to do something, so let's do it. Let's get our buddy there and get him in front of Jesus. And you know what? Something miraculous happens. It cannot be explained. Jesus looks at him and says, hey, buddy, your sins are forgiven. That's not what we brought him here for. Of course, the Pharisees, they look at it, looking at it like this. They're saying, well, you know what? Well, that's anybody can say that. And Jesus perceives what they're thinking. He says, what's easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk? Well, of course, the easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven. But he says, just so you'll know, just so you'll know, he turns to this young man, he says, hey, take up your mat and walk. And a man who hadn't walked in his life stands up on sure legs rolls up his mats, and can you imagine sitting there? This house, this house is packed to the gills, right? You can't walk in. That's why they had to tear a hole in the roof. And as this young man gets up and rolls up his mat, and I'm sure he's looking around, I'm sure the people are parting so that he can get out the front door. Supernatural. Supernatural. And that same Jesus dwells amongst us today. The thing you're praying for that seems so impossible for you, so so difficult and so hard and so, God, if you could do anything, is possible with Jesus. In fact, he says it in his word. He says, listen, with man... You know, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. He says, man, if we'll just have faith like a mustard seed. He said, you can look over this mountain over here and you could say, move. And guess what that mountain's gonna have to do? He says, if you'll have faith like a mustard seed. And I'll be honest with you this morning, when I came to faith in Christ, there was a whole lot of stuff that I did not understand. I grew up in church and I didn't get it. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, I want you to be a theologian and a Bible scholar, then you can accept me as Lord and Savior. He says, no, I want you to come to me like a child. It's simple faith. JP and I were talking before church, and, and uh, we were just talking about faith, and we were talking about sharing the, you know, sharing the gospel, and I said, I just made the comment. I said, you know, JP, for us, it's no different than if our kids were to come up and ask us, tell us about Jesus. We want to know about Jesus. We want to be saved. What do we need to do? Because the gospel is that simple that even our children can understand it. And it's that simple for us. We want to complicate it. We want to make it something that, that really, it's, that, it's, that, it's, that, it's, that it's not. It's faith in Jesus, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did. And it's us saying, there is nothing I can do to save myself. 
There is nothing I can do to earn salvation. I am not entitled to it. I do not deserve it. But God in his greatness and his mercy and his love not only came to this earth, but put on flesh and dwelt among us that I could have life and have it everlasting that I can have life and have it abundantly. And it is a free gift. All I have to do is receive it. I just have to accept it. And I just have to abide. That's all I got to do. That's all I have to do. And maybe for us, it's just getting back to the simple, the simple gospel. That Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died that Jesus rose again so that you and I could have life, that so, that you, so that in our lives, God could do some things that are unexplainable, that we just have to sit back. And when we see something amazing and we just sit back and our jaws are open and our, and our eyes are wide, and we say, man, that's only, only God could do that. Only God could do that. And I think there's some of us today that God is wanting to do an only God thing in your life. An only God thing in your life. Why? So that, one, like for his glory. So that other people will see what he's done in your life and they'll come to a saving relationship with Christ Jesus. And so as we leave here today, man, let's just keep... To, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. And maybe this morning, like, just kind of recommit ourselves as we, as we get ready to dive into a new year, a year that we're gonna recommit ourselves, commit ourselves to the Lord, commit ourselves one to another as the church, and commit ourselves to glorifying God and making him known so that all the people that don't know Christ have an opportunity to come to know this wonderful, merciful Savior that you and I know. The one that you and I, as hard as we try to explain what Jesus has done in, in our hearts, what Jesus has done in our lives, that, you know, we just, like, all we gotta do is smile because we say, you know, I wish I could explain it, but man, I, it's just, I just can't do it. Like, I cannot put into words what Jesus has done for me, what Jesus has done for my family, what Jesus has done for our church. But just because we can't explain it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And sometimes it's the mere trying that people need to hear. So let us this year, the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. And though he may not be dwelling among us, he says in his word in John 16, he says, I go, but when I go, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna send someone else in my place that we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that dwells inside of us. It is the presence of God dwelling amongst God's people that you and I have. Amen. Amen, let's stand. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.